blues to make you feel good. All aboard for the Blues Station. WERU health-related programming is made possible in part by the Mabel Wadsworth Women's Health Center, providing comprehensive reproductive and sexual health services for all women of all ages at all stages since 1984. Insurance, main care, Deergo, and self-pay accepted. MabelWadsworth.org. It's just a few seconds before 10 o'clock. You are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Healthy Options with your host, Andre Bella, is up next. Hello and welcome to Healthy Options. We're going to talk about why the global war on drugs and our national war on drugs have failed and what to do about it. This is the second show that we have done with LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, uh, in an effort to give you more information on a subject with major consequences for our public health. Um, this is a live call-in show, so at the half hour, we will be opening the phone lines for your questions and comments. We have only one phone line today, so we would suggest that you call early right after the break, and the number is 866-625-9378. Today we're speaking with James Girock uh, from LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. He is joining us by way of phone from Illinois. Uh, welcome, Jim. Thank you very much for being with us. Andre, good to be with you. Thank you. Um, uh, James Girock is the former Cook County, Illinois state prosecutor. He's a practicing attorney who's experienced the effect of the war on drugs on both sides of the legal system. As a Chicago prosecutor in the Cook County State's Attorney's Office in the early 70s, Jim scrutinized and perfected search warrant complaints for narcotic officers to make the charges stick in court. He also worked homicide court and witnessed the violence that exists as a direct result from drug prohibition. After 35 years of courtroom and broad-based legal experience, Jim has concluded, quote, not only does prohibition not work, but it is prohibition, not drugs, that is the hub of most U.S. crises worth talking about. Gangs, guns, crime, prisons, AIDS, healthcare, corruption, and the eroding of our civil liberties. Referred to as Illinois' preeminent conscientious objector to the war on drugs, Jim spent the last dozen years fighting drug prohibition as a candidate for Cook County State's attorney and Illinois governor in primary elections and as an officer, speaker, and attorney. He's discussed and debated drug policy issues on television, radio, and in many venues. Jim, welcome so much this morning. We feel so fortunate to have you with us. Well, again, it's good to be with you and your listeners. Thank you. Well, I, I think we, um, we want to really talk about two things during this show. One, we want to talk about LEAP, and, and that's a subject that we have, have discussed before and is very important to talk about again. And we also want to talk about the very timely release of this new report of the Global Commission on Drug Policy, which was just released in June of 2011 and has very much um, evidence-based information uh, on this particular subject. So um, let's start off with, I suppose, that very, that very simple subject of what, what is LEAP and why, do we, why does LEAP say that the war on drugs has failed? Well, LEAP stands for Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. 
Uh, it's an organization founded in 2002 uh, and made up of people who used to lead us in the war on drugs. Uh, so LEAP uh, leaders and speakers and, and uh, the people who formed the group were, were people who were undercover narcotics agents, who were DEA agents, who were prison wardens, who were prosecutors, who were judges, who were the average beat cop uh, who was assigned to, to, to go make war in this war on drugs. And, and the, the irony is, is that after years and years of uh, fighting this war on drugs, the people who were in the front lines realized, you know, this, this is getting us nowhere. Uh, we're, we're shoveling sand against the, the sand pile uh, with the problem becoming bigger instead of smaller. Uh, instead of less drugs, we have more drugs. Instead of uh, uh, more expensive drugs, which was part of the uh, drug czar's master plan, we have cheaper drugs. Instead of weaker drugs, we have stronger drugs. Uh, and instead of fewer overdoses, we have more. So, you know, the, the, the altruistic purpose that put the war on drugs in place to try to help our kids and others uh, was, was a good purpose. But the members of LEAP recognize that it simply doesn't work. The biggest failing of the war on drugs is it doesn't work. Its second largest failing is that it's the heart of nearly any crisis you can name in America. You name some uh, in a list in the introduction, but your listeners can pick nearly any, any crisis they want to talk about. Guns, gangs, crime, prisons, taxes, deficits, AIDS, health care, trade imbalance, corruption, no money for schools, job programs, the funding of terrorism, the corruption of the kids, the corruption of the police. The war on drugs makes each of those problems much worse. So LEAP was formed in order to have people who aren't ivory tower professors, but people uh, who were actually in the front lines out there bringing the message to the people that if we want to stop the harm from drugs uh, and, and the associated harms, we need drug policy reform. Mm -hmm. And how do, um, I, you know, I sense since I, I did the show, the other show a year and a half ago, that uh, we're, we're maybe reaching, you know, some kind of a tipping point with the public. Public seems to be more informed. I mean, how, uh, I've seen some reports that most people in the United States agree that the war on drugs has failed. Well, I, I think overwhelmingly some 95% uh, of the uh, American population knows the war on drugs doesn't work. The issue becomes, well, what can we do instead? And, and that's, of course, a harder question because uh, with drug policy, everything works in reverse. If, if you think, well, what would be a good idea? You know, drugs are bad, so let's prohibit them. Well, on the face of it, it sounds like a good idea. But when you prohibit something uh, and people want it and, and can become addicted to it, uh, in, in fact, you make the substance so valuable that you encourage people to do that which you're telling them not to do. We tell kids don't do drugs, and then we slide a pot of gold next to the choice we tell them not to take, and then we're surprised, well, gee, why are so many kids dropping out of school? Why are they joining gangs? Why are they shooting each other, fighting over who's going to make the, the money in, in these black market uh, prohibition uh, businesses? You know, the irony is Al Capone was in favor of the prohibition of liquor. The drug cartels are in favor of the prohibition uh, of, of these drug substances because it's the foundation for their illicit businesses. And ironically, the, the good guys are on the same side of the issue as the bad guys. If they're for prohibition, we should be against it. But, but of course, uh, that's not what's happened. 
And, and the reason for that is is uh, the, the American public and the world public wanted prohibition. They thought that that would help with the drug problem, and, and so they said, you know, three strikes and you're out. Uh, you do a drug thing, you're going to jail forever. Throw the key away. But in fact, it hasn't worked, and and the public is recognizing that. So to a politician who has historically collected votes by by being tough on drugs and tough on crime, uh, uh, the public is really leading the politicians away from that old idea with a new enlightenment that that we need drug policy reform if we're going to stop the crime, the violence, the, 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 the problems that come out of the spigot faster than government can pay the bills. Well, certainly um, this is a, an economic issue as, as well as an issue uh, that we originally started with well-intentioned on the war against drugs. Um, how, how can we uh, support or um, address our politician? I mean, every politician would be scared to death to come out in favor of, of prohibition because it would be, you know, political suicide. Well, more and more are. Um, and, and the reason is because the people themselves are, are leading the politicians to this new conclusion. We have the former governor of uh, New Mexico, Gary Johnson, a conservative Republican in favor of legalizing drugs. He's running for president. We have Dennis Kucinich, a liberal, uh, who, who's run for president who wants to legalize drugs. We have Ron Paul, a conservative Republican who wants to legalize drugs. Uh, so we have people on both sides of the political spectrum. Uh, who, who recognize that we need change, and, and the people are going to be accepting that, as is reflected in uh, medical marijuana referendums across the country that are passing. We now have some 16 states that have approved medical marijuana for people who are sick and dying. Yes, Maine being one of them. Yeah. Sure, absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, Maine, Maine is, uh, I consider you guys a leader. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, we like to think we are. Marijuana, sure. <laughs> Yeah. I, I noticed, and I, I do want to refer people to the LEAP website, that's www.leap.org. And I will say that I think LEAP has one of the best websites that I've ever visited. There is so much information on there, and you can connect with so many um, other websites and listen to so many law enforcement people about this issue. Every time I go on it, there's something new on the website. And one of the things I noticed is that uh, I guess there was a, a law proposed in Congress, I think in maybe in June, um, saying that the states should have the right to decide about the legalization of marijuana. And, um, and I'm wondering if you could just talk a little about, bit about that and how people could support, support that particular effort. Uh, well, let me just uh, uh, correct uh, the, the address. It's, it's leap.cc rather than .org. Uh, so, but if, okay. the, if the listeners just put in LEAP, uh, and it, it will pull up law enforcement against prohibition. Okay, thank you. Um, but um, the, the, really the states need to become the leaders uh, of, of what new drug policy should look like in the United States. We've had a national prohibition that's been in place uh, uh, because uh, we passed a, a schedule of drugs where we put marijuana... Uh, in, in the same category with cocaine and, uh, well, not, not cocaine, but heroin, uh, is one of the most uh, dangerous drugs with no medicinal value. So that the, the reality of what the public knows on the street with regard to the drugs has no consistency with what the law says. So we need to get rid of this national prohibition, and we need to let the states do as we did after the end of, of prohibition, 
let the states put in place what they think is a good law to control and regulate marijuana, to control and regulate heroin, uh, to control and regulate cocaine, so that the regulations may not be the same from state to state. And then we find out that, well, gee, this is a, a good policy that's working in, in a particular state. Let's replicate it elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And, and instead of mandating from on high, uh, zero tolerance, just say no nonsense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, this reminds me of some of the things that I, I read in the Global Commission report. And would, would you tell us a little bit about what that report is and, and who was involved in, in writing that report? Sure. The, the Global uh, Commission uh, is really a very important report. Uh, it's only 18 pages long, uh, but it, it was the result of the work of um, leaders from around the world. And I'm talking about national leaders, the, the former president of Colombia, former president of Mexico, former prime minister of Greece, uh, former uh, uh, prime minister of uh, oh, about six different countries, plus Paul Velker, the former chairman of the uh, Federal Reserve System here, the secretary general of the United Nations, Kofi Annan, George Shultz, former secretary uh, of state, uh, former president of Brazil. So the very top echelon people that formed this commission sat down and said, we need to urgently, urgently look at drug policy because the drug policy we put in place globally has in fact made things worse. Uh, and, and they cite in the reports, uh, if I can call the reader or your listeners' attention to that, they, over the last 10 years, the consumption of opiates has increased worldwide by 45%. Cocaine has increased 27% over that 10-year period. And cannabis use uh, is now at $160 million, uh, at 8.5%. So we, we've tried to reduce drug use, uh, and instead the war on drugs has uh, exacerbated uh, drug use and increased that use. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this, this report, uh, which was made up of, of top leaders, and, and, and for the urgent reason I just stated, they sit down and they make a, a list of proposals and, and, and rules and guidelines, uh, some of which are, are as follows. Number one, we need to get rid of prohibition. Prohibition is the heart of what's wrong. We need to put in place harm reduction uh, policies and programs where, uh, uh, where, where tolerance and thought replace uh, intolerance and and the lack of thought. Uh, they call on uh, nations of the world uh, cooperating with one another so that we don't just take the United States uh, drug policy and prohibition idea and, and, and make that uh, what the United Nations uh, mandates and the, the treaties of the world mandate. Um, so uh, they want to make uh, drug policy a health issue rather than principally a law enforcement issue, which it's been uh, over these, these last 40 years since Nixon declared a war on drugs. We just had that 40-year anniversary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So really this, this is a very enlightened uh, policy change that has been suggested on a global basis. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to uh, remind our listeners that um, we are talking with James Gearock from LEAP Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. This is Healthy Options, and this is WERU uh, 89.9 on your radio dial and 99.9 Bangor, um, when we're also streaming online. 
Um, I want to also tell listeners that the report we've been referring to is the Global Commission on Drug Policy. And I'm going to give you a, a web address for that. It's www.globalcommissionondrugs.org. Or you could just Google global, global Commission and you would get that. Because I really think, as, uh, as Jim is saying, this is an 18-page report. It's written in very, very uh, straightforward language. Um, I think it's an excellent report for everyone to read. It gives uh, recommendations. It defines the problem. And I think you're also talking to Jim about the idea of these global laws that one of the things the report is recommending that each country be able to make their own drug policies. And indeed, the, the report talks a lot about um, different countries that have already experimented with decriminalization. Um, what, what have been some of the results? I know there was, gosh, I think uh, Australia and Portugal and the Netherlands, quite a, Switzerland. What have been some of the results of those experimentations that have been done in different countries? Well, Portugal, you mentioned, has, of course, been one of the best successes. Uh, they put in place uh, in 2001 uh, a program that decriminalized all illicit substances so that people who were carrying or using uh, a small amount of drugs for personal consumption were not prosecuted. And, and when that was put in place initially, everybody thought, oh, my goodness, uh, drug use is going to skyrocket. And, in fact, it's had the exact reverse effect. Uh, where the people in Portugal are using less drugs, they've got less crime, less problems, uh, less harm being produced by drug policy, and, and they've taken the aura of, uh, of wonder away from these uh, drugs which, which prohibition creates. So uh, it, it's switching to another country quickly, and in, uh, in Switzerland they put in place a, a heroin program, a heroin maintenance program, where instead of saying, you know, uh, heroin is outlawed, zero tolerance, you can't have it. Instead, if you're addicted to heroin, come to us, the government. We're going to give you the drug to which you're addicted for a, a moderate cost. If you can't pay the bill, you can get your daily injection for, for no charge. The results of the, the program have been dramatically successful, where some 83% of the people were making their living from crime uh, in order to get the money to go pay the exorbitant black market drug prices to the dealer, and, and uh, instead, these people are now able to take care of families, hold down a job. Uh, many of them have quit using drugs of their own volition instead of uh, because the government mandated it. So, and is there a connection here also with AIDS? Oh, well, of course. I mean, people who inject uh, drugs into their system often end up are high and make bad decisions like using a dirty needle. And, and we historically, at least, at least in the United States, have said, well, you can't use uh, we can't legalize needles uh, or give clean needles out because it's going to send the wrong message. Well, what that has done is created a, uh, a, a, an astronomical increase in the number of AIDS cases coming from uh, injecting drug users sharing dirty needles. Uh, and because of the improvement in health care for AIDS patients, uh, life expectancy is, is now... I should have. I've done my slide presentation well, but I think it's like the 23 years, and the average cost is like uh, 300 thousand dollars over the life. I think it's 600 thousand over the lifetime of the uh, of the addict uh, or the AIDS uh, victim. So, uh, really, we, you know, when we put a, p a policy in place that that causes people to 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 shoot one another, to steal, to rob, uh, to put bullet holes in one another. 
uh, fighting over drug turf, uh, we then can't pay the bill medically uh, for these uninsured drug dealers who have got bullet holes in them, just like we can't pay for the, the AIDS patients that we're creating. We, we can't pay for the people who are overdosing on these drugs because the money is being dumped into prisons. We, because of the war on drugs, the United States has, has been transformed from the land of the free and, and to the prison capital of the world with 2.3 million people incarcerated, the highest rate of incarceration of any country uh, in, in the world that you can name. And it's because, uh, I just before I went on here, I, I quick looked in, in Maine. The, the prison population was exploding in, in Maine, and, and the reports uh, out of Maine say because of, just like everywhere else, because of drug policy. So, so in, in Maine, you've got a prison population of some 2,024 2, people. Uh, you're the 49th least violent state, and you've got a budget deficit of $422 million, 13.8% short of the revenues you need uh, to pay the, the bills. Across the country, because of the... the deficits that are being caused by mounting social crises uh, caused by the war on drugs, or at least aggravated by the war on drugs, most of the states across the, the nation can't pay the bills. The federal government, the county governments, the local governments, uh, can't. the states cannot pay their bills. And they're not going to be able to unless and until we have a radical change in drug policy that's based on, on health, uh, and, and thought instead of intolerance uh, and trying to lock up a nation. So, so if this is a bad policy and it's clearly costing us all kinds of money and it's not helping prevent drug abuse or lessening drug abuse, um, then the big question is why do we keep supporting the, these policies that don't work? Right, what's your opinion on that? Well, their vested interests in continuing the war on drugs. Uh, the drug dealers and the drug cartels want to continue it, not because they want to get caught, but because it's the foundation for the business. And on the other hand, the good guys, the guys who are building the prisons, the, the Clinton's 100,000 people, uh, policemen we have to hire because of so much violence, uh, the people who are manning drug courts, the, the, the people... Who, who are working in the prisons, the subcontractors who build the prisons, the transportation companies that move the prisoners around. Uh, we've got uh, uh, more judges, more, uh, more probation officers, more parole officers. We've got somebody who's got the drug testing concession. We've got so the there's, laboratories. There's a lot of drug, uh, there's a lot of job security there. Oh, sure. We've got, we got radio, TV, and, and, and the newspapers who are getting money to put hundreds of, mil hundreds of millions of dollars a year in anti-drug advertising on. Are they in favor of it? Sure. Local towns are, are getting half of the money seized in drug deals so that the police departments are able to run the police department off of the confiscated drug money. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't at all aware of that one. I thought that was pretty amazing. But when you think about it, when there's a drug bust and there's a lot of cash sitting around in a suitcase somewhere, then where does the cash go? One, one, one town over from me, we just built a new $4 million police department where the people of that town are more likely to be stepped on by a reindeer than mugged. And, and they just put up this Taj Mahal police department without raising taxes, because they use forfeited drug money. So now so the, they can pay overtime, they can buy police cars, they can arm the police with bigger and better weapons. Uh, 
and and the and the alderman and the mayor from that town. Well, they're heroes, and they're using you know? drug money to pay for that. Sure. The problem is that you have to have you end up putting drugs everywhere. The most effective way to put more drugs everywhere is to prohibit them, make them the most valuable commodity on the face of the earth. I, when I was a drug prosecutor in the early 70s, the best heroin you could get in Chicago was 2% pure. After 40 years of drug war, you can now get 90% pure heroin. How does that help us? We, we, where I live, uh, we've got a forest preserve district two miles away in Cook County, in the Chicago su suburban area. We see 6,000 marijuana plants uh, two summers ago planted by a Mexican drug cartel. How does it help the kids of my area to have 6,000 marijuana plants in the Forest Preserve District? Mm -hmm. Well, it obviously doesn't. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we, we, we seize drugs by the ton and we prosecute them by the gram. You don't need to be a genius to see that that system's not going to work. Just this uh, Monday of this week in, in, uh, in Florida, they seized... 1.5 tons of cocaine uh, in a drug sub uh, in the Caribbean. And so there are pictures in the news. I mean, Chicago, the Chicago papers didn't even cover it. It's so commonplace. Seven and a half tons worth $180 million, and you can't find a, an article in the Chicago Sun-Times about it. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable. So, so follow the money is, is definitely... Sure. Yeah, the elephant sure. in, when, in the living room. In, in this article, they're mm -hmm. saying, you know, what are we going to mm -hmm. do with the seven and a half tons of cocaine? Are we going to use it to, to attract addicts into treatment programs? Tell them, come, come to us. You can consume it on premise uh, under, under controlled and regulated conditions. Uh, no, we're going to destroy the drugs, surrendering exclusive control back to the drug uh, and, and illicit uh, enterprises. Mm-hmm. And then, a government-protected monopoly in the bed mm -hmm. is with law enforcement working to secure the interests of the drug dealers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that just promotes the drug cartels even well, more, sure. raises and the price. Well, suppose one person has seven tons of drugs he hasn't got on the market yet, and now they just see seven tons. Well, that guy's going to hope that the price will go up because of the scarcity so he can double mm -hmm. the amount of money that he's going to make from his seven tons. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I had read something online about the 100-person uh, arrest that took place in a pot bust in California, and reading the comments of, you know, of just everyday people about, about that drug bust, I, this, this one I happened to note, it says, the murderous uh, Mexican drug cartels wish to thank the authorities for destroying the competition and ensuring many more years of money, murder, and mayhem. A tip of the hat to the Americans, and thanks. I mean, you have to uh, laugh uh, or you'd be crying continually if you thought about the harm that's caused. I initially got involved in, in, in drug policy reform about 20 years ago, finally disgusted listening to Republicans and Democrats alike supporting the war on drugs and, instead of fighting against it when they killed some uh, dozen kids in Chicago in one weekend. And then, then the politicians go, well, we're going to get tough, we're going to crack down more. Well, I mean, here in December, they, they seized uh, 30 tons of marijuana in a tunnel in, in uh, uh, Tijuana. And, and then uh, within about two weeks, they seized another 20 tons uh, in, in these warehouses, uh, but connecting Tijuana to, uh, to Mexico, San Diego. Mm -hmm. Well, Tijuana to San Diego. 
They're, and they, they even had railroad tracks with railroad cars, so that they've got the drugs coming into the United States underground from warehouse. You go down the elevator, you bring it across on the rails, up in the elevator on the U.S. side. Then they load U.S. currency on and ship it back the other way. And we wonder why we have uh, trade imbalance. Well, it isn't only the, the lack of manufacturing, it's, it's the importation of, of, of marijuana uh, into the United States and other drugs. Mm-hmm. A- another issue that I, that I am very concerned about is that uh, I think in the, in the report they call it kind of the small fish. So many of the arrests are either addicts who are stealing or whatever, selling drugs to support their own habit, or there are, you know, young people who have uh, uh, been caught with a small amount of marijuana, and these are the people that we're, we're sending to jail. Um, talk, about, talk about that aspect of it, and if uh, steps towards decriminalization, how, how do you separate those, you know, kind of small fish uh, from the, the big cartels? Well, it's true that the people who are the least involved in drug use and, and the drug business are the ones that have the least amount of information to offer. So when the police officer says, listen, I've got you in three control sales and you're going to prison forever unless you cooperate. Now, are you going to wear a wire? Are you going to help set up the guy who sold you these drugs? This is your last chance. You're not getting a chance again. So we tell this person who's been caught, uh, you are either going to sacrifice someone else to save yourself or you're going to prison forever. And oftentimes that's the person who's the least culpable, who has no information to give up. So mm-hmm. when you think about it, what have we done with this drug policy? We have, we have, we have taken it to the people and said, you know, uh, forget the golden rule. Forget about the other guy and save yourself. And we wonder why there's no morals or scruples left with this wonderful war on drugs. We, we have put in place an informant law enforcement system where we catch one drug dealer and it's like an unending vine, and he tells you the next guy, and then you go over to get that guy, and then he tells you about this guy. And, and, and it, of course, leads absolutely everywhere mm-hmm. uh, and, until we fill their prisons to the point where we can't pay for schools and job programs and drug treatment and daycare, etc. I want to remind our listeners, you're listening to WERU, Healthy Options, uh, 89.9 and 99.9 on your dial. We are talking this morning with James Girock about uh, law enforcement against prohibition, LEAP, and the new uh, Global Commission on Drug Policy. And we are um, going to just take a very short break for just a little, a little while. We do have... Um, several callers who have already indicated that they're lining up to call. So if you do, if you do plan to call in, um, please call in early because we would like to get in as many people as we can. I'll give you that call-in number right now. It's 866-625-9378. And right after a very short break, we'll be back and the phone lines will be open for your questions and comments.
This is Healthy Options. Thank you for joining us this morning. This is a live call-in show. The call-in number is 866-625-9378. We only have one line available, so please call in early so that we can fit in all the calls. We've been talking with uh, James Girock from LEAP Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, and we have been talking about the decriminalization of drugs and how the war on drugs has failed both globally and here in the United States. Um, we do have a caller on the line. Are you there, caller? No? Okay. <laughs> we'll wait just one more minute. Um, I noticed that uh, I would suggest, do we have that caller now? Okay, go ahead, caller. Yes, my name is Frank Donnelly in Lemoyne, and I want to thank this man for having a, a very progressive insight into the drug situation. Um, as some people know, I was in prison this time last year for 10 months for tax evasion in, in federal prison. Most of the people in prison, I'd say, I don't know the percentage, I'm sure he does, are there for a drug conviction. They either robbed the bank to get money to do their drugs, or the biggest part of them were black men there for a small amounts of crack cocaine who were doing 10 years minimum, that has just been changed to five years, for 50 grams of cocaine. If you were a white rich guy from Miami with your gold chain and had tons of cocaine, you probably did 18 months. But all the black fellows were doing years, and this has been going on since the mid-80s when they wanted to clean up the streets so they wouldn't be too political to try to push their cause for their own rights. And that, that's a political statement which I, I believe is true. Uh, drugs are led into this country by the U.S. government to control certain segments of the population. It's a money situation. I was also in prison 35 years ago for marijuana smuggling from Texas. Well, I am proud of that. Not really, but I was just trying to do commerce. Um, this man is very insightful into the drug situation. Everybody, it's an industry. It's an industry in this country, and people have to see that. It's a job thing for rural parts of America where they build prisons for uneducated guards to get high salaries to watch people. There's no rules in prison. The rules are run by the inmates. It's all about respect in prison. But the whole thing is based on, a, like he said, if they let him out because it was in there for drugs, we'd be down to half a million people there who should be there for violence stuff like that. That's my comment, and this guy is wonderful. And I, I, when I get, when the show's over, I have to get his email address and communicate with him. I'm a 65-and-a-half-year-old man, and I've seen some experience here in life, and this drug thing is a bunch of BS. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, caller, for those comments. Jim, comments? Uh, yes. Well, I thank Frank, and he's certainly uh, right and certainly has an inside, quote-unquote, view of the, of the situation. Uh, we have filled our prisons uh, because of this war on drugs. State, the state prison system is like 35% uh, occupied by people for drug offenses. The federal penitentiaries are, are more like 62%. And, and it isn't an equal black and white situation. If, if you are black and you, and you commit the same crime, uh, 58 people will go to prison for the one white guy who committed the same offense. Uh, to show the disparity uh, be between the powder and the crack cocaine that he was talking about, it takes 100 times as much uh, powder as the crack in order to equal the same prison sentence. 
And, of course, who does that impact? It impacts the, the poorest guy at the end of the drug chain. You have to have powdered cocaine before you can have crack cocaine. So the guy who's got the powder is higher up the drug uh, chain than, than the guy who's got the crack. But the crack is the guy who was going to go to prison for umpteen years longer. And, and, and of course, that has a disparate impact on, on minorities and black folks. Uh, and, and Michelle Alexander uh, has just written a book called The New Jim Crow, in which she talks about, you know, we can't discriminate against people because of color anymore in this country, but if we can convict them of a drug offense... If we can make them a criminal, well, now it's okay to discriminate against them in housing, in employment, in military service, in Pell Grants, in public housing, in, in the right for any kind of a federal benefit. So that her thesis is basically we put in place through the war on drugs uh, an institutional uh, continuation of slavery uh, by demonizing people who are convicted of these crimes uh, drug crimes, stamp on their forehead that you're a convicted felon where you can't go out and get a job, send them back to these poor neighborhoods where they came from, uh, and then you've got an unemployed person forever. It's, it's a horror. And because of it, Reverend Jesse Jackson has come out and, and called for an end to the war on drugs for the first time, leading hopefully the African-American community to an end to this racist war on drugs. It certainly is a, a tremendous form of, of racism. The, op the opportunity there is, is tremendous. And when we look at the mm -hmm. number of people that are incarcerated for nonviolent crimes, um, these, I, I work uh, in a local jail, uh, in, and at one point I, I asked the director of the jail, how, how many of these guys have um, substance abuse issues? And he said, he laughed, he said, all of them. You know, and I said, well, after I worked there about another year, I said, well, you know, generally, what, what are they in here for? And, and he laughed, and he said, well, they're, they're in here for um, things like, uh, you know, breaking into someone's car and stealing a woman's purse to get some money to buy their next drug fix. And I work with these guys, and they, they you know, they're about the same age as my, my own children. They're in their 20s. And, and, you know, they're great guys, and we talk about all kinds. They're, they're just ordinary people, like everybody I meet on the street. And yet, what are they doing in jail? And what's happening to them when they're in jail? And as taxpayers, how much money are we paying to support this? You know, you know it, aren't, it isn't strangers who are using these drugs. It, it isn't strangers who are selling these drugs. It's our neighbors, our relatives. It's Americans. It's people from around the world that are attracted to do the wrong thing because of this prohibition drug war, which is the most effective way to put more drugs uncontrolled and unregulated everywhere. So, um, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping your listeners are, are, are ready to, to, to march on City Hall and the, and the U.S. Capitol demanding an end to the war on drugs. Well, that, that brings me to the, the next question, and that is, what can our listeners do here in Maine, in the state of Maine, um, both locally, statewide, and nationally, to, to correct this? Well, presidential elections are coming up, and, and there'll be, there'll be rough, uh, primaries across the country. And when the presidential candidates come to town, ask them, you know, are, are we, are, what do you plan to do about the war on drugs? Are you in favor of modifying drug policy? If so, in what manner? Uh, write letters to the editor. Let your local state representative, let your city council members, your, your villages and towns know that you're opposed to the war on drugs, not because you're in favor of drug use. I'm absolutely opposed to drug use, 
but I'm, I'm even more opposed to the war on drugs because it causes what we're trying to prevent. Be, hmm. Let them know that it, it, it is now acceptable to the American people in the world to say that, that we need drug policy reform, decriminalization, legalization, new programs that, that, that rationally deal with the problem of drugs to reduce the harm uh, associated with not only use, but, but the black market that goes with prohibition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and of course, uh, I would suggest all the listeners go to the LEAP website. That's www.leap.cc. Right. And, and look at that website and support LEAP. These are people who are volunteering their time. These are law enforcement people who volunteer their time because they feel so strongly about this issue. I also think that it's you know, important that, we, that there are other opinions out there. And maybe we could have more forums where we debate these issues in public so that people don't get real polarized on their views. I mean, have you had some experience with it, this, Jim, talking to people who are supporting uh, in enforcement? I mean, is, it, is there a debate that's going on? Can we have more debate on this subject? Oh, well, there, there definitely is a debate that's going on. And one of the things the Global Commission said was that we need to, to uh, open the microphone to people who are criticizing the war on drugs, where it used to be a taboo. Uh, that, that, uh, he, actually, the drug czar's office, I was supposed to debate at Claremont Colleges in, in California, and they got an assistant U.S. attorney uh, to debate me, and then, and then the guy uh, backed out. So they said, well, we can't present your side with another. So they tried to get another speaker and another. And it was actually the policy and strategy of the drug czar's office well, we won't show up because in many forums they won't let you present one side so that they stymied the debate simply by not showing up. So, so you, did, you couldn't have any debate because they, the other Correct. side didn't show up. I never got to Claremont Colleges because their strategy succeeded. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's an outrage. Now we have a presidential candidate who was just excluded from the debates uh, in, in New Hampshire who's a former governor of a state and they wouldn't let him in because they said his poll numbers are too high, or too low, rather. Mm -hmm. uh, here's a former governor. It's early in the race, and, and it's somebody who was in favor of, of, of legalizing uh, or at least radically um, uh, updating drug policy to something other than prohibition. Mm -hmm. So we, we really have to support our politicians. We really have to tell them what we want and what we want them to do because, you know, we can't expect them to just stand out there on their own and sure. come out for something that, that is so controversial and expect them to survive politically. We, we really have to support them in every way we can. Sure. It, it's historically been the third rail. You just can't go near drug policy and say anything that would be interpreted as soft on drugs or soft in yeah. cr on crime, or you're done. Mm -hmm. And Do the people, people need to let these politicians know, hey, we've learned. We realize we've incarcerated a nation. We can't pay the bills. We've got no money for schools. They're shooting mm -hmm. each other in our neighborhood. Our neighborhood's being destroyed. We've got more drugs everywhere. We've got people pilfering uh, on, and, and committing petty crimes and breaking into homes, which isn't petty, to get money to go pay these exorbitant drug prices. Mm -hmm. so, so that if the people understand, then the politicians uh, are going to hear the people 
and, and, and get this drug war ended. Mm -hmm. I want to remind our listeners that this is Healthy Options. We're speaking with uh, Jim Girock from LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. This is a call-in show, and the call-in number is 866-625-9378. So please call us with your, your questions and comments on this, this highly controversial subject, which so affects our youth, um, our entire community, and public health. Um, Jim, I, I wanted to ask you another question. Do you have any idea um, approximately what percentage of the population overall is actually in the category of addiction for drugs? Well, I mean, it's... I mean, versus, really versus, you know, let's take something like alcohol, re recreational use versus someone who actually has an issue. You know, I, I, even if someone's going to give me an empirical number, uh, I'm going to be hard put to say that I'm, I'm agreeing to the number because with illicit drug use uh, unlawful, it's difficult to get people to admit or own up to uh, the fact uh, that they're using illicit substances when you take a survey. And, and, and so uh, I think it's very difficult to... to put an estimate on addiction, and then many people who are addicted deny they're addicted. So uh, I, I can tell you that we have too many people that use drugs. Uh, we have too many people that are overdosing, too many people that are dying from drug use, too many people who are using drugs in the dark because prohibition turns the lights out. So you don't really know what drug you're consuming. You don't know how strong the drug is. You don't know if the same person who made it last week is doing it this week. You don't know what they cut the drug with. You don't know if it's contaminated. Whereas uh, those are all side effects of prohibition because it makes no sense to say, well, we're going to prohibit cocaine because it's bad uh, and, and then say, well, uh, don't use cocaine because it's prohibited, but if you choose to uh, disregard the prohibition, do not exceed the recommended dosage. You, know, you can't make them put a label on something when the substance is prohibited. You can't regulate who can sell it, when, where, what hours, from someone who has no criminal background, limiting it so that it can't be purchased by a minor. You can't require a license. You can't require a fixed place of business. You can't, you can't moderate who can produce this, how strong can it be, what limit is there on how much alcohol you can put in the can of beer. You can do the things if it's legalized, but you can't do it if it's prohibited. Mm -hmm. So if we're serious about reducing the harm, if we're serious about preventing kids from overdosing, if we're going to take away the aura of, oh, drugs are wonderful because it's, a, it's an exciting life under this prohibition system and experimentation, we need drug policy reform and we need it now. And um, I know I've heard um, Peter Christ say that if he asks a group of middle schoolers uh, and he says something like, well, if I tell you to go out and get either a six-pack of beer or some marijuana and we'll meet back here in 24 hours, what would be the easiest thing for you well, to bring back? It's obviously easier to bring back the illicit substance. Even in the Chicago area, people are saying it's easier for the kids to get the heroin than it is a pack of cigarettes or a six-pack mm -hmm. because they at least card you when, when, when you go to the liquor store to, to, to get a six-pack or when you're going to buy cigarettes now. You know, cigarettes kills 400,000 Americans a year. Alcohol 
kills 100,000 people a year. And, and uh, all illicit drugs together uh, kill, kill uh, I think, well under 10,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And yet uh, we, we have outlawed the substances that are the, the lesser used and in mm-hmm. many instances less, lesser harm, for example, marijuana versus alcohol. Alcohol is much worse than the, than the marijuana, but, but we, we don't even let the people who are sick and dying in some states use medical marijuana. So, so, so we really need mm-hmm. need to wake up and, and prioritize what's bad and, uh, versus what's really bad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want to remind folks that this is a call-in show, and the number is 866-625-9378. I really thought that the phone lines would be a bit busier, and I'm sort of curious because I'm wondering if people out there are nodding their heads and saying, yes, yes, we agree with all this, or if there are people, we certainly would like to hear from some people that might um, have other views and would like to pitch their comments and questions, you know, into us this morning. So do call us at 866-625-9378. I wish um, the drug czar was listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, is, is there, is there um, a, a sense that anywhere in the near future you see legislation changing? Well, it definitely will. I used to think it was because of the dead bodies in the street. Uh, we're killing a dozen, as I say, in a weekend in Chicago, uh, shooting all the time, uh, preachers marching in, in the street, uh, down with dope, up with dope, and, and it not making any difference. So, uh, But it, it's not the dead bodies in the street. In my opinion, it's going to be the inability to pay the bills. When the people realize that, that their educational system is, is dithering away because it has inadequate money, and the money's going to prisons instead of to schools, people are going to start waking up. Mm-hmm. We have a caller on the line. Are you there, caller? Yes, I am. Uh, go ahead. Uh, this is Charles from Palermo. I would like to um, guess to comment uh, on, on an observation I've had for years, and that's that uh, a lot of our law enforcement is addicted to drugs. Now, I don't mean in terms of ingesting them, smoking them, et cetera, but I mean in terms of uh, confiscation of drug money, property, et cetera. It seems to um, finance quite a few um, law enforcement offices, and I'd just like to see what he has to say about that. Uh, well, the, the, the answer to the question, Charles, is uh, certainly people who are riding the drug war gravy train are in favor of continuing the war on drugs. And, and uh, I've got a friend who's a correctional officer, and I asked him, I said, uh, you know, what do you think of the war on drugs? And he said, job protection. You know, we're hiring more prison guards, so now he gets promoted, and now he's supervising the new people that have been hired. And, and, you know, we tried to close a prison in Illinois. The, the whole town is up in arms. Well, what else do we have to do in this town except to, to watch these people? Well, who are the prisoners that are there? Drug prisoners. People from downstate Illinois begging for the next prison because we have no industry anymore. So arrest some more people, black people, preferably in Chicago. Send them down here to southern Illinois so that we've got jobs. There's no question that law enforcement has, has benefited because of the war on drugs in terms of, of money uh, and, and receipts, but their efforts are being taken from serious crime, murder, armed robbery, home invasion, rape, and those efforts are being ta- put into, you know, is, is this guy voluntarily selling some drugs to that guy? 
Let's put them under surveillance. Let's go in with a SWAT team and bust the door down before they flush the drugs down the toilet. We need to reassign law enforcement officers to serious uh, criminal work where the public health, safety, and welfare is improved by the efforts and the work of law enforcement. There's ample work for them to do without making up crimes, making some consensual transaction between uh, consenting adults unlawful. And, and, and put the onus back on the guy who commits some violent crime or hurts someone else. And, 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 and that is a major overhaul that needs to be made in law enforcement across the country and around the world. Thank you very much. I must say I agree with you. Well, Charles, I appreciate the call. Thank you very much, Charles. Um, we have time for just a couple more uh, phone calls before we wrap up the hour. Um, the number is 866 625-9378. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, Jim, is there a difference between uh, le legalize and decriminalize? Uh, there definitely what? is. Um, What's that difference? The difference is that if, if drugs are legal, then, then you could go to a store and buy the substance that you wanted, and it would be a lawful transaction. That it would be much probably like you uh, can see the licensing of liquor at the present time. It would be lawful. Maybe not a good idea to go do it or use it, but lawful. A decriminalization, on the other hand, uh, is the, the, the laws still prohibit the use of substances. But instead of uh, taking somebody and arresting them and fingerprinting them and photographing them and sticking them in prison, we're going to do something else with you. We're going to issue you a pot ticket. Here in Cook County, we have a new president of the Cook County Board who's, who's saying, you know, we're, we're spending $142 a day to lock up people who are arrested on minor drug charges. We need instead to not arrest them but issue them a ticket mm -hmm. so that, that, that we're still not saying we condone or, or authorize drug use, uh, but we're not going to stick you in jail. We're not going to stamp you forever. We're not going to destroy your, your future. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. uh, it's easier to get over an addiction than to get over a conviction. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, we have and, another caller on the line. Are, are you there, caller? Yes, I am. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, hi. My name is Jody, and I um, am from Massachusetts. I'm living, uh, I, actually, I taught in Massachusetts in a prison for three years there in a county jail. And uh, it was my favorite job and loved it because the guys were just great. But I was forced out of there because I was too nice and was being too helpful, and I, I really want to thank the, um, the gentleman who's speaking. Uh, he's right on about everything. My question is, what can the average person do? To, is there anything we can do to stop prohibition? Talk, talk to your neighbor. Talk to your relatives. Talk to your brother and your sister and your mother and your father and your children. Talk to the people at school. When they start to say we're going to put in a drug testing uh, concession at every kid who goes out for sports or the drama club, uh, resist it anywhere and everywhere you have the chance. Not discourteously, not disrespectfully, but because of the knowledge that you possess because of the work that you did in law enforcement, because of what you saw. Cite the statistics. Tell them to look at the front page of the newspaper of, of this hundred, uh, this seven-ton seizure of cocaine. These huge seizures are not evidence of drug war success, but evidence of the scope and magnitude of the failure. You have to have seven tons of drugs there before you can see seven tons. So really by talking to people, 
uh, by communicating so that, the, the, you know, the barbershop where the conversation is this drug war needs to end because of the harm. Uh, everybody has a story. Everyone has some, some relative who's been addicted or who's overdosed or who ended up going to prison or who's on the edge of going to prison because of making some, some silly mistake uh, about drugs. Uh, tell those stories and, and, and tell them that this war on drugs has made it worse. 40,000 people have died in Mexico in, in drug turf wars where the, where the Mexican drug cartels make 60% of their money from marijuana, even though marijuana is the largest cash crop in the United States. Talk to the people about those facts. Tell them we need to support people who say end the war on drugs, not who say lock up the druggies forever. Reprioritize violent crime. I will See, do become that, a, sir. Be, become a salesman, Jody, and uh, you're, you obviously uh, were nice to people, and, and apparently you're not there anymore because of it, but keep being nice. All right. Thank you so much, and I will keep spreading the word. Thank you, thank Jody. You. Thank you very much, and thank you to all the listeners that have, have called in this morning. Uh, you've been listening to Healthy Options, and we've been speaking to James Gehrig from LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. You can uh, reach him at the LEAP website at www.leap.cc. Um, Healthy Options airs on WERU the first Wednesday of every month at 10 o'clock. Um, I'd like to thank our guest, James Gehrig, and also our station engineer, Amy Brown. I'm Andre Bella. Be well, and I hope you'll join us for Healthy Options next month.